Many of us experience all kinds of problems in our lives, and most of us seem to think that our problems are incredibly complicated and that there are so many different things that need to be solved in order just to get to a place of peace. But what if your problems weren't so complicated? What if they were really simple and that you could actually find the root of them through a simple way of thinking? Well, in this episode, we're gonna be talking about the four noble truths. And you can think of this as kind of like a user manual to life and to why problems exist the way that they do. So the Four Noble Truths were actually expressed by the Buddha. And so before we get into what they are, we're going to share the story of the Buddha and how he became the Buddha. Because Buddha is not his name. The Buddha is actually a title for the Awakened One. This is actually a story about a man named Siddhartha Gautama. And Siddhartha Gautama was born into a life of prosperity as a prince. Now, just before he was born, an astrologer came to his father and said to his father, your son is either going to be one of the greatest rulers the world has ever seen, or one of the greatest spiritual teachers the world has ever seen. And so the father, being the king and being a lover of the material world and his power in it, didn't want his son to go to the altruistic path of being a spiritual teacher. And so he crafted his life in a way that would have him fall in love with the material world so that he would feel inspired and pulled into ruling one day and being one of the greatest rulers that the world has ever seen. And so his father built a palace and built walls around the palace, never allowing his son to actually go outside of the walls. Now he did this in order to shelter him, in order to help shape his mindset to one of pleasure, prosperity, abundance, and all of the pleasures that a person could actually experience in their lives. And so his son, being royalty, had everything he could ever want or ask for. He never had to long for anything. He never had to want anything. It was always just there. But with these walls that were built around the palace, he always wondered what was outside of them. And so as he continued to wonder, he began to ask if he could go outside. And eventually his father reluctantly said that he could go. But before he did, his father wanted to make sure that the town was free from anything that could indicate that there was any kind of suffering or any kind of negativity in the world because he had built his entire son's paradigm on pleasure, beauty, abundance, prosperity, and gratitude. Just all the things that a person could truly want in this life. And so before he had his son go in, he had the town cleared of anyone who was elderly, anyone who was sick, anyone who was poor. And he basically cleaned the town up and made it into, like you saw in the movie Shrek, like a Duloc. Essentially just this perfect town with all of it going for it and not a single problem in the town. And so he sent his son out with, the, with an attendant to guide him through the town so that he could see everything. So as they walked through, everything was perfect. And then suddenly a sickly person walked by through the prince's view. And the prince looked over at him, seeing that he was sick, seeing that he was ill, that he wasn't as physically capable as everyone else around him. And he asked the attendant, he said, well, what's going on with him? He said, well, he is sick and he has an illness and therefore he is not healthy. He is not fully capable. And so the prince was very confused by this because he had never seen this before. And he realized that this person who was sick was a human just like him. And so he realized he was also susceptible to this. So the prince wanted to run back to the palace because he was terrified. He was scared. He was completely traumatized by this experience. So he went back to the castle. But then eventually he wanted to go out again. So the attendant brought him out again. Now this time, an old person walked by him. And the king had tried his best not to have any sickly or old people there. But no matter how perfect the king tried to make the town, 
no matter how much we try to fix everything or how perfect we try to make something, there will always be cracks in the foundation and things like the serpent in the Adam and Eve story can always slither in, even in the most beautiful paradise. And so he sees this old person, he sees how much older he is, and he sees that he's having trouble walking in the same way that the young and youthful people of the town walk. And so he asks the attendant, he says, well, what's going on with this guy? You know, he's, he, he seems to be weak. He seems to be frail. He said, well, that is an elderly man. And the prince realized to himself, well, if this elderly man, if, well, if he's a human and he can age and become like that, then I too will eventually be like that one day. And so he ran back to the palace once again. But his curiosity continued to pull him, pull him into wanting to go outside of the palace walls. And so he goes a third time. And the third time, he sees a funeral procession, and he sees for the first time in his life a dead body. And he asks the attendant, what, why is, why is that, that person lying there, unmoving, not breathing? He said, well, that, that person is dead. And he goes, and, and then the prince realizes to himself the truth of death. He realizes that he too is a human being, and he too is subject to this. And so he runs back to the palace, completely terrified and mortified by all these experiences. He realized that he's subject to sickness, body ailments, and disease. He realized that he is subject to old age, and then he realized that he is mortal and he is subject to death. And so horrified by all these experiences, the prince was not feeling very good. He was feeling quite down and quite dismayed by this. And so his father tried to bring in all things that would bring joy to him. He tried to bring in entertainment to him. He tried to bring him beautiful women, all the best food. But this prince couldn't enjoy all of this prosperity, knowing what existed outside of the palace walls. And so one day, he went out on his own. And when he went out on his own, he noticed there were some holy men dressed in rags, and they seemed to be at peace. So the prince himself wanted to explore this, because they were at peace without anything, and he was completely distraught with everything. And so he decided to leave the palace and trade his robes for rags. And when he traded his robes for rags, he began to practice something called Samyak, which is a precursor to yoga. He not only mastered Samyak, but he also began to master yoga and his physicality and his discipline. He was the best in the entire city, even better than his teachers. And eventually, he realized that this path of discipline, this path of renunciation, wasn't the path because he was still suffering. He was still not at peace. And so he thought to himself that maybe he just didn't renunciate enough. So he gave up everything. He even stopped eating until he looked so frail, it was almost like he wasn't there. And he realized this also wasn't the path. And so Gotama in this moment realized that neither pleasure nor pain was giving him any answers. So he decided to go out and sit under the Bodhi tree where he meditated. And when he was meditating under the Bodhi tree, life began to try to lure him back in with all the pleasures and fantasies that it could possibly offer. Great food, enlivening music, beautiful women, art, everything, trying to pull him back into life. And he rejected this. And then the angel of death came to visit him and told him that he could go into nirvana for eternity and experience tranquility and peace for all eternity. And he also rejected this, because even though he experienced enlightenment for a moment, he realized that... Until the last person was enlightened, there was still work to be done. So he came back as what is known as the Bodhisattva to help enlighten and free other people from the trap of their own illusion.
he meditated for 49 days under the tree and realized that there will always be suffering because we will always want more as human beings, that our nature is to desire, and that he experienced both being rich and starving, and neither of them gave him answers. But what did give him answers was living the middle way. And the middle way is what he discovered through the Four Noble Truths. Now, the Four Noble Truths are really important to understand because when you understand them, you start to begin to understand the simplicity of why our problems show up in the way that they do. And so the first noble truth is the truth of suffering. Now, essentially what this truth is pointing to is that in our existence as human beings, we are sensitive organisms subject to illness, old age, and death, that we have an experience of impermanence. And this very experience of impermanence, this very experience of fragility is actually what gives meaning to our lives. It's what makes life meaningful. It's what makes life beautiful. And typically, people will suffer because they try to reject this truth. They try to hold on and make things permanent. But the thing is, if things were permanent, then there wouldn't be any reason for anything to be important or meaningful. This is what truly allows life to be beautiful. Now, within that first noble truth of suffering, it also talks about the three signs of being. Now, the three signs of being are number one, frustration. Now, frustration comes from trying to solve insoluble problems. So we talked about our last episode, the backwards law. When we try to have light without dark or up without down or easy without difficult, this is when we actually start to create frustration in ourselves. And the creation of that frustration is from trying to solve problems that cannot be solved. That again, will only be solved by the middle way, not by the resolution that we abstract in our minds that we think are going to actually solve that problem. Now, the second sign of being is impermanence. Again, one of the reasons why suffering exists is because we are attached to the idea of things being permanent and not allowing ourselves to simply let things go. And the third sign of being is what is called non-self. Now, what this essentially means is that there is no automatic or preordained self, that the self, the ego that we think that we are, is actually a construct of our minds. It's an abstraction of reality. And I'm here to say that the ego is not your enemy. Your ego is not an adversary. It's not something that you have to fight against. It's not something that you have to get rid of. There are a ton of people in the spiritual community talking about, I had an ego death or I got rid of my ego. And then I think to myself, when somebody says something like, like I had an ego death, it's like, yeah, set the ego. The ego is not our enemy. It's not something negative. It's not something bad. It is simply our symbol for ourselves. It is what allows us to have an individual experience. It's how I know to bring my drink up to my mouth versus bringing it up to someone else's if I'm taking a drink of water. So your ego is not your enemy. In fact, it's just a symbol that allows you to have an individual experience. But at the end of the day, you are the one creating this symbol because one of the signs of being is non-self. Being that you ultimately decide what your ego is and how you build it up. It is not preordained existent being, but when we again, give our power to identities or to thoughts, then we start to get sucked into the trap where we think that we are our ego. Our ego allows us to have a, an individual experience and it points to it. It symbolizes that individual experience, but the ego itself is not the individual experience. Now, the second noble truth is the truth of the root of suffering. Now, the root of suffering is attachment. Now, for a long time, I didn't quite understand what this meant. I was like attached to what exactly? And so I assumed it was being emotionally attached to things. Anytime you're experiencing any suffering, you can look at it as a clear indication that you are attached to a thought. It is not attachment to any people or situations specifically. We are not attached to who we are in our lives. What we are attached to that creates the suffering 
is we are attached to our thoughts about life. And one of the things that the philosopher Seneca would talk about is how we suffer more in our imagination than we do in reality. And this is because we don't suffer because of the existence of life as it is. We suffer because of our thoughts that we attach to and that we cling on to. So we suffer in proportion to how attached we are to a specific thought or way of being. So when we think about this, it's really important for us to understand that if we are attached to a belief system, if we are attached to a doctrine or a religion of some kind or an ideology, it actually prevents us from being able to escape any kind of suffering because our attachment to our thoughts about something is ultimately what is going to create the suffering. The more we attach, the more it pains us when that thing is ripped out of our grip. It's like Alan Watts said, the world is an illusion. It's a fantastic weaving of smoke. And if you try to hold on to this weaving of smoke, then you will experience suffering. Now, many people, when they hear that the root of suffering is attachment, they try to say, okay, I'm just going to let go of all my attachments. I just won't be attached to anything. But that too is being attached to a concept. You're being attached to the concept of non-attachment. So the idea of this is to actually relax into your human nature and to realize that as a human being, you will have desires. You will have things that you attach to. But attaching to things is not a bad or a negative thing. Attaching to things is simply our nature. We attach to thoughts. We cling on to things. But we also have the power to let it go. And so the third noble truth is the truth of nirvana. This is the cessation of suffering, that the cessation of suffering is possible. And so when we think about the word nirvana, nirvana ultimately means to blow out. Life is breath. When we inhale, that is equivalent to us attaching to things. But if we inhale and we never exhale and we try to hold our breath, then we end up losing our breath, right? It actually prevents us from being able to have a natural breathing cycle, which is what keeps us alive. So when we take things in, it is completely okay for us to take things in. However, we also need to let them go. So the third noble truth of nirvana is to blow out, to be able to let go. And you always have the choice to let go. It is very important for us to know that that is within our sovereignty, that is within our power to choose to let go of things that, are, that we're attached to, the things that are creating suffering in our lives. One of the stories that we shared in the previous episode was the story of the warrior in the garden. And it's important to understand what that story truly means, especially when you're understanding this truth of nirvana. The warrior in the garden is twofold. A lot of people, when they hear this story, they really focus on the warrior aspect of it because the warrior is the subject of the story. The garden is the background. And oftentimes, one of the reasons why we miss out on the true meaning of things or why we're unable to take in the entire context of things because we get tunnel vision on the subject of a picture versus taking in the entire background of it. And so when we think about the warrior in the garden, you can think of it like this. The garden symbolizes all of the beauty in our lives. It symbolizes all of the ideals we have. It symbolizes our aspiration, our goals, the things that we're grateful for. This is what our garden is. Sometimes it's a literal garden, sometimes it's a figurative garden. But either way, the garden is the thing that we seek to protect. It's the beauty in our lives. It's the thing that we live for. It's the thing that we fight for. And the warrior is us, the individual, the one who's training to create sovereignty in themselves, the one who is choosing sovereignty, the one who is choosing perception, the one who is choosing integration like we talked about in the previous episode. This is what it means to be the warrior in the garden, is to train yourself, mind, body, and spirit to be able to protect all of that which you treasure, as well as knowing that if it were all taken away, you would still be there, that the garden does not define the warrior, and that the warrior can always recreate that. And so our ideals in life, the things that we love, the things that are beautiful, the things that we're attached to, 
this is our garden. And to experience the truth of nirvana, it is important that we hold all of that, all that we treasure in our lives with a loose grip, the ability to let go, because something else will always come our way. We are not defined by the things in our garden. We are not defined by our, we are not defined by our ideals, and our ideals can evolve as we go. The key is being able to let go when the time is right. And the fourth noble truth is the path to the cessation of suffering, or known as the Eightfold Path. Now, the Eightfold Path is broken down into three aggregates, and this is the path that the Buddha laid out as a methodology, as a way of integration for a person to let go of their suffering, for a person to essentially liberate themselves. Now, we're not going to be going specifically into the Eightfold Path, but we are going to be going into the Zen Stoic rendition of the three aggregates of the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is divided into three aggregates, being wisdom, conduct, and meditation. Now, the Zen Stoic rendition of the Eightfold Path actually looks at something, instead of the three aggregates, we look at what is called the three pillars of liberation. And the three pillars of liberation are innate wisdom, inspired action, and intentional focus. So it's a slightly different take on this path. And in the next episode, we're going to be going into the three pillars of liberation and by how embodying the three pillars of liberation, you can actually create your sense of liberation and move your way towards unshakable inner peace so that not only you can enjoy that, but the people around you can be affected in a positive way as well. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if it added value to you, please like, comment, and subscribe. And if something really inspired or resonated with you, please leave a review or share this with a friend. This is how the podcast grows. I so appreciate you being here and engaging with this content. This is my life's work and I love sharing it with people and it fills my heart to be able to do this each and every day. So thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week with our episode on the three pillars of liberation.